Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery, who makes sophisticated, elk-free drinks that still have all the taste of a good time. G&T without the tears, whiskey without the wobbles, and other delicious cocktails too. Switching the ritual instead of ditching the ritual is so much easier. Stay in high spirits, keep a clear mind, head to mondaydistillery.com for more. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi, and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm joined by Patrick Kennedy from Melbourne, who is celebrating one year sober today. Yay! (laughs) Hey, Patrick, how are you? Well, thanks, Danny. Yeah, thanks for that intro. It's a really cool milestone, and I I don't think I ever thought I was going to hit it. So it's, um, yeah, it's awesome. Wow. You said to me before that when, you know, you'd seen other people that were getting to these milestones and you thought it seemed Mm. so far away. And so how does it feel to be here today one year? Yeah, it's funny. Like I, I've been chatting to different people, as, you know, over the week. Like I'm, I'm pretty heavily involved in, in AA, and people were sort of saying to me that, you know, around their milestone times, they can get a little bit shaky. They might get a bit, some anxiety might start creeping in, and um, and I've found that a little bit. You know, I've certainly been reflecting on the past quite a bit over the last week, and I think, like I was saying, the thing that is amazing, it's just when I first started, I just thought it was almost too big a hill to climb to get to any kind of length of time um, mm. without needing a drink or a drug and so it's just weird it's weird it's 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 really cool that yeah it's been a year and yeah excited for what's next totally agree that for some people just thinking oh my god a year or forever just seems like too huge seems like too big of a battle and I know AA is very much one step at a time you know one day at a time sometimes one minute at a time uh, what would you say to people before we get into the whole story behind, you know, your journey, but just for people that are, are feeling like it's too, too far, too much? I would, I would throw the, the AA cliche at them and just say, get through today. Um, mm. And if you can get through to the end of today without picking up a drink, 
give yourself a big pat on the back and be immensely proud for doing that because yeah there's been plenty of days where I've just been hanging on and and some and some days are like that where you just you just want to get to the end of the day and and just start again so yeah that's that's all I'd say I'd just say get through to the end of the day talk to people um, and if you can put your head on the pillow and having not picked up a drink then you know you're a superstar oh totally it's that just get your head to the pillow mm. just get yourself there that's it. Get to the end of the day. Tell me, Patrick, you're 29 years old, so it's fairly young, I guess. I mean, you're not the first person in their 20s I've had on the podcast who's who's in the 12-step program. But tell mm. me, how did like when did you start drinking and how did it evolve? Um, so I think my my first drink was when I was about 12 or 13, and it was at my uh, sister's 18th birthday party, and I was you know it was one of those things where you know I was I was in I was 13 12 13 and you know it 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 seemed like the the time to to have that first beer and to so I've just got dogs <laughs> going crazy in the background they should be okay but um I might have to send them out in a moment and yeah I had a drink and I was there with a couple of friends and I think at that stage alcohol was not so much about the effect it was the look you know having a drink and you know so but I remember that that first drink I was just like just gave me the most wonderful feeling it you know I was very chatty I it was getting this extra shot of confidence I was talking to people it just I was just it it unlocked something in myself that I didn't know was there and kind of gave me like this personality that I didn't know existed there either and um and that was my first experience it was a good one and but I didn't really return to it again. I think I might have drank another occasion, but I sort of went through school, went through teenage years and then picked up a drink when I finished school, finished exams. And and I would say from the uh, from the end of school to about the age of 22, 23, I was drinking in a way that I guess what you'd consider normal, you know, every, every weekend um, with people, having fun enhancing the fun that's how I kind of looked at alcohol it was you know we're having fun but just add alcohol it'll be even more enjoyable that was kind of how I how I viewed it and you know I'd I'd wake up on the Sunday mornings I'd be hungover and I'd just get through the hangover no thought of having a drink just get through the hangover and then and get on with life and and I did that for, for a period of time but there was a point where and I don't know if there was a specific event or a moment, but there was a point where my relationship with alcohol started to change and I, it was no longer about enhancing or enjoying myself. It was about altering my mood or escaping from, from, from my own feelings and my own thoughts. And what I didn't understand at the time, but I understand you know, very well now, is that you know, my mental health was really deteriorating. I was starting to find socializing very not socializing, being around people like I was starting to develop some some really bad social anxiety I was you know struggling to get out of bed much to the chagrin of my parents who were like come on get on with it you're young but I was starting to just really sink into myself and I was starting to withdraw from people isolate wasn't really enjoying the things I used to enjoy so all the classic kind of symptoms of, you know, anxiety, depression, I was, was starting to develop, but a little bit like alcoholism, it was, a, it was a bit of a slow burn. I didn't just wake up one day and feel anxious and depressed. It was like, it was one of those things that just gradually started to gnaw at me bit by bit. 
I started to use alcohol and and kind of like that 18th birthday party, it worked amazingly well. I loved it. It was like I feel so uncomfortable and so shit in my own skin. I'd have a drink and it would just, I felt amazing. I felt, you know, like my problems weren't there anymore. And it gave me some temporary relief from from my own head and I loved it. And I started to use it for that purpose. Um, I'd still, you know, have the odd event that would be fun and enjoyable, but really my drinking had gone into a stage of, of, of medicating and, you know, numbing myself to, to reality. Um, and it went on like that for a, a long, not a long time, six, seven years. And in that time, it was kind of weird, you know, good things were also happening. Um, you know, I got into a relationship, you know, we moved in together, uh, adopted a dog together, um, you know, we're pretty happy. But what she probably didn't realise at the time was that I was taking my alcoholism with me and I don't know if she signed up for that. Um, and and because I was kind of, I guess I, I was sort of re-engaged in life again, but I was still in my own head and I still had this massive thing on my shoulder. And so the lying started to, to happen. I heard someone on your podcast recently say about, you know, taking on and any form of addiction is like taking on a, a full-time job. And, and, and that's what it felt like. It was, mm-hmm. it was around the clock work to keep this up. And I did that for a period of time, but life was just absolute chaos, really. I was starting to need, need to kind of drink through my hangovers. Um, I was starting to get withdrawals. And basically, when I didn't have alcohol in my system, I felt like I felt this immense sense of fear and dread. And then I'd take a drink and it would be kind of gone and I'd soothe myself and, and get through it. But it was chaos and... You know, but I was, you know, I was, I was still doing stuff. I was still kind of in life, but I did feel like I always had this feeling in the pit of my gut, like this is going to end badly. <laughs> like this is just going to end in tears. And I started to, there was a point though in um, 2018 where I, for the first time, started to vocalize to other people what was going on. But you know, I didn't have the full picture of it in my own head. I didn't actually understand it myself all that well. And I remember I was at mum and dad's once and we were chatting and I was like in tears and I couldn't actually say to them what was going on. I ended up writing on a piece of paper, alcohol problem. Like that's all I could kind of write. And they were sort of, they didn't really understand what to do with it. But, you know, at least it was kind of, I'd got the ball rolling that, you know, people in my life knew that, this was an issue to some degree. I went to my first AA meeting and in 2018 and I thought, yeah, this, this could be good. Um, I liked the, the community feel. I liked place to come and connect. I liked the fact that people in the rooms didn't just understand my story but had lived it to some degree. But, you know, didn't, I wasn't ready at that point. And, you know, so I liked the idea of it, but I just wasn't ready to, to hand myself over to, to the program, which is the first step. And, but eventually, you know, things started to kind of come to an end. The relationship ended, and which was really sad. COVID happened, and and eventually, you know, work kind of went with it. You know, I was working in a um, a pretty high pressure in industry, an industry that was was very much about you know projecting confidence. You've always got to be on your game. You've always got to be a certain thing, and 
to some degree that I, that kind of suited me because I was very good at pretending and very good at pretending that I had my shit together when I didn't. But eventually that kind of fell apart in very, I must say, very compassionate circumstances. Um, I think I was quite lucky in the way that it, it ended. It was dealt with with a lot of care. But by that point, I was at the end of the road and uh, my parents who, again, I, I, I think I'm very, very lucky in that I had two parents who were just so, they just wanted to help. I don't know everyone's experience, but I, I know from, from being an AA that that's not everyone's experience. They, they don't have two parents who are just ready to do whatever it takes to help. So eventually I got myself into, into rehab towards the start of last year. And I was supposed to go there for 28 days, but ended up extending by a couple of months and was there for three months. And yeah, that, that was when um, I finally <laughs> started to... Um, to get some physical and, and mental health back um, and started the road, the road to recovery. And from there I got, you know, back into back into AA. And yeah, so it's been a, a big year. I oh, just thank the universe that I'm finally back in my own body again and 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 okay with being in my own body again. So yeah. Wow, what a what a journey. And God, you must be so relieved to get a year. <laughs> A year of distance from all that chaos, you know, that must feel incredible. So tell me, I'm trying to get a picture of you drinking. Was it daily drinking? Uh, it got there eventually. Yeah, it sounds um, like it got there. Yeah. It got there eventually. I went through a, a period of time there from about, so 2018, when I first went to my first AA meeting, I started to dabble with periods of sobriety. But what I now know, what I understand now, but I didn't understand at the time was that you know, I had the disease of alcoholism, but I kept thinking that I could go back and drink like other people. And which is one of those great obsessions that alcoholics have. It's, it's like this tug of war, you know, you think, you know, I got a month up and I thought, shit, I'm feeling okay here. I feel like mentally I'm in a really good space and I'd go back and have a drink. And, you know, it's, it's freaky how every time the same pattern just emerged again. And yeah, absolutely. But I would say that's not just with people who classify as an alcoholic. Yeah. I think binge drinkers have that exact same that exact same thing where they have the fantasy that eventually I'm going to learn to drink like a normal person. Eventually I'm going to learn to have one. Uh, unfortunately, I'm just here to call bullshit on that because from all everyone I've worked with and all the people I see and speak to, it just doesn't seem to be a possibility. Once you've sort of past that point of no return sometimes with alcohol it seems pretty much near on impossible so anyone kind of I just hate to break it to people because that is the dream isn't it the dream is to drink like a normal person but you know it doesn't matter whether yeah whether you're a daily drinker or a binge drinker that can't stop I don't think moderation is generally an option for really anyone that's gone there but I could be wrong no I think I think there's like this invisible line that you just cross and once you've crossed it, it's, it's over. And I didn't realize that. And so it kind of baffled me every time I'd be like, well, fuck, I I felt pretty good at the start of this episode and, and as in episode of drinking. And then two weeks later, I'm back where I started and I just couldn't work out why that kept on happening. Yeah. Um, And that's the scary thing, isn't it? That you go mm, back to that same pattern every time. And if not, if not to right back to where you were, worse. Yeah. No, yeah. I would say almost 
10% worse every time I went back in terms of not just the scale of the drinking, but it, it was all actually, I would say that because I had a little bit of AA in my system and a little bit of, I was actually understanding more and more, it actually made it worse because I was drinking on that knowledge of, of what I'm doing to myself. Whereas before that, it was kind of just like, I was just kind of busting through just because I was doing anything to get through it. But this time around, I would say it was, it was sadder. I was just so miserable, like going back to it because I thought, oh, shit, I know what's happening to me. And yet I feel so powerless to stop it. And I know, and, you know, at the time I was, I was kind of, I was really just dirty on myself and I was thinking, geez, I'm just so weak. You know, I just don't have any self-will. And I started, you know, that, that negative self-talk was really, um, would come in and um, a lot of the shame would would really grow. And I think like when I listen to people on your podcast and, and podcasts like it, and there's that period where they just can't tell anyone and there's all that hiding. And some people might just say, geez, that's so dishonest. And, you know, this is, but I actually just don't think people, even when they're in it, they don't even understand themselves what on earth is going on. And so if someone was to say to them or say to me, hey, what's happening with you? What's going on with your drinking? I just couldn't put into words as to why I'm so in the grips of this thing and and almost feeling overwhelmed and thinking that if hey, if I if I was to tell a loved one everything, they wouldn't know how to handle it anyway. So it would just be adding to their burden and it would just make their life harder and I don't want to be that sort of person. So I may as well just go it alone and punch my way out of this thing. But as we know, um, that just just that just doesn't work. No, it doesn't. And unfortunately, yeah, a lot of us do think that we feel like we'll burden other people and as if we've already been burdened enough on people. So we don't want to add to that. And I think perhaps there's also even that slight belief that perhaps still you're going to nail it and become okay. So, and cause it's so scary too, that fear of the unknown of, wow, what, you know, it just seems like such a huge battle. It seems like such a huge task. Well, and, and yeah, yeah. And, and coupled with that is like with the fear of the unknown for me, it was like, there was the fear of the unknown, but it was also like, you know, alcohol is the only thing to this point that has worked for me in making me feel okay. And I'm supposed to just (laughs) get rid of that. And, Mm. and then what, and then I'm, you know, and, and so a lot of the fear that I had was, yeah, I can get sober, but will that just be at the price of my happiness? Will I have to just be miserable for the rest of my life and feel, you know, shit for the rest of my life? Oh, but hey, I'm sober, so there's that. You know, I'd almost prefer just to keep drinking then, you know, if if that's the deal. I wonder how many people listening as well could relate to that, that feeling of, fuck, well, if I get rid of it, how am I ever going to feel okay again? Yeah, Yeah, and everyone's got their their own journey to kind of work this stuff out, but... I, I would say that that, that thought is, is, from what I hear in AA and from different people, that's pretty common because it's the one thing that I reckon is consistent when people are trying to quit and then they go back to it. I think it's because of that nagging voice. It's like, well, yeah, you can put it down, but what are you picking up instead? What, what actually are you going to, to do to cope now? And I suppose that was like, that was what rehab was about for me. It was like, okay, I've put the drink down, but now I need to actually understand myself. What am I lacking? What what have I been lacking that has meant that I needed to numb myself to begin with? 
what 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 is it that I need to actually, you know, figure out? Yeah. Mm. You hit the nail on the head there. And I think sometimes perhaps more than that notion that we have a disease of alcohol, I think we have more of a disease of we don't know how to soothe ourselves. We don't know how to deal with our emotions. It's more a sensitivity that we have because we're so sensitive and there's so much hurt there that we just don't know what to do with it. And so when we drink, we feel like there's an out, but Mm. It's not an out for very long. So how were you feeling the day after? Was there moments of shame? Like how would you feel the day after having, you know, when you're drinking? Towards the end, it was just about waking up and almost needing a drink straight away just to kind of settle. Was that the physical, to settle the physical or the emotional as well? The mental. The physical would, would come later if I was to say, if I was to wake up, and spend a few hours off it, the physical stuff would creep up and 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 then it was like, fuck, I, I can't I can't anymore. I'm already dealing with the head that's going 100 miles an hour. I'm already thinking of, you know, the worst possible things about myself, the paranoia. It's all paranoia on steroids. And then, and then the physical stuff would creep in, the shakes. My leg couldn't sit still. My leg would just be kind of going. Um, and it was just, um, horrendous. And, and so then, yeah, I'd, I'd drink straight away and to, um, just to make it stop. It wouldn't even feel good. It wouldn't even feel, uh, it, it'd just make it stop for a bit yeah. and give me some relief. Um, and that's, and that's the, I mean, I'm stating the obvious, but like, that, that's the point where it's like, this is the show's over. I can't, I can't keep doing this to myself. So yeah, that's kind of, that's where it ended up. And, you know, it's crazy. Just, just like I thought when I was at those first meetings that I could never get to a year, I never thought that when I first picked up alcohol, that it could ever get to a point where my body and my brain couldn't function without it. Like I just couldn't imagine that that could happen. And it happened in, yeah, the best part of seven years, really. Um, I was going to ask how quickly that happened because, and that does always seem to creep up on people. And it seems to always start with when people are needing to drink the next day to stop a hangover. That's usually how it starts to creep in. And it's a slow, it's a slow burn, but you get there. Well, yeah, it's like, but the thing is like, I I remember I was thinking to myself, I'd love a hangover, but I wasn't actually having hangovers. I was having like waking up and feeling like the world was ending, like, and I, so I actually was like to myself sometimes going, shit, what I would give to just have a normal hangover where you're dehydrated, you got a bit of a headache and you can't get out of bed and, you know, you, 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 watch some t- you eat some Maccas, you watch some <laughs> TV shows. What I was experiencing was not a hangover. It was like, you know, this dread, anxiety just through the roof, very different to a hangover. And it was like, I just need something to make it stop, stop. and just and just mm. and I need the noise to just go away. Um, yeah, I've heard that many times on this mm. podcast. They need the noise to stop. Was the breakdown of your relationship due to the alcoholism? Uh, yes. I, well, like with a lot of things, it's like there's all these different things, but in the middle of it is the alcohol, and and so she ended up just getting to a point where, you know, she couldn't she couldn't support the both of us and and you know just it was it was one one lie too many one you know broken promise too many and you know she had to make a decision 
to keep herself safe and to um you know to look after herself which yeah i i get and i think you had someone on last week who was talking about um you know supporting a loved one with yeah andy yeah and i, I was listening to that and i was thinking yep that's that all makes a bit of sense it was something that just had to happen i think and something that you know it, it was the, probably the thing that even though it was you know a year and a half later that i got into rehab it was the thing that at least started nudging me out into into the world again if it makes sense i think i think when i was in a relationship i was there was that level of safety that was still there and i think i kept on thinking to myself well you know i haven't nailed the sobriety thing yet but i can keep drinking because you know there's a roof over my head there's someone who will support me there's someone who will help me through all this you know the world doesn't seem like a totally unmanageable place and so that would kind of put almost put recovery off a little bit it was almost like oh well it'll happen when it happens but once the relationship was over and it was like well yeah it was that last probably that last thing that needed to to fall over to to get through to to rehab wow wow so with your with your drinking what were some of the the biggest things in which that you'd be like well this is not cool i mean i i'm i'm hesitant to say this because i know it'll sound a little bit ridiculous but i wasn't like I wasn't a bash and crash kind of drunk. I didn't, I didn't go out and make a big scene of myself. I would have mm-hmm. on different occasions and been a little bit silly, but it was a lot of my drinking was in solitude and it was, it was almost just for me to kind of experience, if that makes sense. It was like, mm-hmm. this is just how I'm dealing with the world. And I used to hate drinking with people. I got to the point where I, I, I couldn't, I, I just didn't enjoy drinking with people. I like, they, what was I, that? What, what's that? Why? Oh, they drank so slowly, you know. They <laughs> I'd watch them, you know, nursing that glass of wine and and it'd sit there for 45 minutes and I'd just be looking at it going, what on earth are you doing? Like what it just slowed the process down. And it and drinking for me, it got to the it was because it was like my therapy, it was it was for for me to kind of be myself almost. And I just wanted to do that in private, almost grieve privately with the bottle and, and kind of just just go through it alone. But how I acted, I, I, I would actually say that the weird part was that a lot of the time I was having to pretend that I wasn't under the influence. In effect, that actually made me pretty kind of boring because I'd be so, I'd almost be numb. You know, I think, and I think drinking does get to that point where it's almost like, it doesn't actually liven, it didn't actually liven me up or make me say and do silly things. It kind of just shut my whole system down. And I was almost like a bit of a um, a zombie, you know, like not even really mm. functioning. And then, you know, I thought it would be a great idea to drink alcohol while I was taking antidepressants. And that was an absolute shit show because, you know, I'm sure you've heard the story, how it works, but it, it like they kind of counteract each other. And then it's like, the depression, the anxiety is like increases tenfold. So I don't, yeah, there, was, there were no real like moments where I absolutely humiliated myself, but it was just the solitude of it that was, yeah. It just sounds like it was full on for, med- for self-medicating purposes. Yeah. And um, nothing more than that. Like no. that's what it was. Yeah. A mate of mine from from the program, he he often shares about how for his alcohol, for his drinking it was in three stages from magic 
to medication to misery. And, and that, so- that timeline absolutely sums it up for me. Starts really well. Um, you feel alive. You feel like you can conquer anything. And then the dependency grows. And then that's when it becomes just medicating to get through. And then it stops working as medication completely. And you're just in a big ball of fucking misery. <laughs> and, and it's like you can either stay in that for the rest of your life and, and die quickly and early or you can get out of it. It's almost like there's just no other roads left. Yeah, um, I think when when you're getting to that point where you've crossed the magic and you've gone into medication mode, then it's definitely time to, you know, please, if anyone's listening to this and they're in that stage where they're drinking to medicate or just to get through the day or to stop the shakes, you know, reach out, reach out to your local AA or go see a GP and and reach out to anyone that you can to start making those steps if you because that's scary scary territory Mm. i'm sure for many people yeah Um, absolutely yeah terrifying that point where you were writing down on paper to your mum and dad problem with alcohol or alcohol problem were they shocked or were they did they kind of know what was going on i think because we weren't living together at the time they they could only get versions of me and i i would always put on a bit of a show like yep all good going great life's good no need to worry about me but there's only so long that you can keep that that dance up particularly with your parents who know you better than anyone and they just knew that I was not a happy camper um and they knew that I wasn't myself um and and they could just tell and um we had a lot of these sort of I used to call them you know kitchen table conversations where something might have happened to trigger it and we'd be chatting and, I'd, you know, I'd, there'd be tears. I just couldn't, I could never just articulate probably the way that I can now, you know, it's because of this, this and this, and I need to do this. You know, I couldn't, I didn't have any of that. So it was just, a, I was so like all over the shop, jumping around, didn't know how to address it. And eventually it was just like, yeah, alcohol problem. And I think they just thought, I mean, I, look, um, I won't speak for them, but I think they probably just thought, oh, yeah, he probably just has a few too many and, you know, it's, it's, in, it's impacting, I don't know, it's, because how much can you know? And it, it all does depend a lot on what you get told. And I think I had the same kind of experience with a therapist that I was seeing where I'd go to these sessions and I wouldn't tell her the whole story. I'd tell her like 50% of what was going on, which is a massive waste of money. And she can only kind of treat me on what she gets told. And my parents are probably the same. They can only really help me as much as I can let them. But I think towards the end, they they understood it deeply. You know, they came to a few meetings. Um, they, mum, you know, they went to Al- Al-Anon, which is a support group for, you know, loved ones of alcoholics. So they understand it really well now. But um, yeah, I think they just wanted me to get better. It was, you know, uh, it was not really a case of, any shame or any blaming it was just like right oh you've got this problem let's let's deal with it um it's not the end of the world so Mm -hmm. you know sort of thing and and like I said like I don't reckon everyone's experience is like that when they when they tell their loved ones I don't think everyone gets that kind of that that empathy and and you know the fact that I got it you know I consider myself really really lucky that that I had that because if I didn't have it you know, if I didn't have that that embrace, who knows? I might have kept going back out there and boxing on for another however many years, and then, mm. you know. So yeah, I, I'm really 
really lucky. I think that's the same message, I guess, which Andy was delivering a couple of weeks ago on the podcast when she was supporting Jason, that it was very much based on love and compassion. And I think anyone that is supporting someone through any addiction or is watching another a loved one in active addiction, all you want is them to be better. That's all you mm. want. You want them to be better. And now whether that manifests in anger or you know, because you're so angry because they just won't get better. You don't understand it. It's so hard to understand when you're on the outside watching somebody else Mm. and it's frustrating and it's heartbreaking and all the rest of it. So for some people that compassion is just, or they may have been compassionate at a time and it's just so hard to get there, but it is the, if you can find that in yourself to be compassionate towards someone that's struggling in addiction. I think it makes a huge difference, but it is a frustrating and heartbreaking thing. And sometimes they never get better. It's very hard. It's hard on everybody. Because I think it almost like, you know, if I put my, if I put myself in the shoes of the loved one and from their perspective, it probably looks as though whoever it is, their son, their daughter, whoever's going through it, it's almost like they're not meeting their pain and they're not actually acknowledging the pain and I think Mm. you know there were some times where my parents would be you know kind of really pleading hey come on let's let's tackle this do you see what you're doing to us do you do you you know do you see Mm. and I'm going sitting there going I fucking see I am I am with you but I can't actually I can't actually express myself in the way that I really want to because that's Mm. also another thing that, you know, for me at least, you know, alcohol is this really sedating force. And even though your head might have be just full of shit, actually then connecting head with brain. And for me at least, the hardest part was connecting emotions with my voice and actually getting stuff out there. It would end up looking like, you know, I'm sitting there going, no, I've got no empathy for you. I don't care what you're going through when it's the complete opposite and and I think that's the really hard part it's like there's this there's this disconnect it's like we're all sitting here we're all on the same page but we can't quite connect with each other and say what we're probably all wanting to say yes Um, yeah yeah. that's so true and what you said earlier just that they're not sometimes you don't you don't feel heard when you're the one that's in you know the addiction and that's another thing Gabor Mate says it's not why the addiction it's why the pain And to look at someone who's in addiction and seeing them as someone that's in pain, someone Mm. that's deeply, deeply hurting. And I think the worse the addiction, the worse the pain Mm. as well. So trying to see it through that lens might be helpful. And and Um, I think, yeah, definitely. And the other thing is like, and also just seeing it for the illness that it is and the sickness that it is, because um, when I was going through my step, for with my sponsor and I won't go into the great details, but it was sort of, I was sort of looking at it and I was, I was saying it out loud to him and, and feeling, you know, the embarrassment of some of the stuff that I've said and done. And, and he would just kind of meet that with empathy and just say, you were sick, you were sick, you were sick. And he kept on kind of just repeating that. And I just sort of, I got a bit annoyed because I thought, I was like, oh, yeah, I feel like I'm getting let, let off the hook. And he goes, no, you're not getting let off the hook, but it's a fact. You were sick. You were not well when you were saying and doing these things, you know, you wouldn't do that now, would you? You wouldn't say these things now. You wouldn't do these things now. And, and their answer is, no, I wouldn't. Um, and, and I think that can kind of can help someone as well in looking at it and going, yeah, they're, 
they're just not well at the moment. They're not, they're not themselves. They're not, you know, they wouldn't be doing this if they weren't in the, in the clutch of this thing. Well, they're coping in the only way in which they know how at that point in time, which may not suit us. I yeah. know I've got an addicted family member and it's full, it's the most challenging thing, you know, mm-hmm. and for me with this work that I do, but uh, the, there's there's pain there and it's it's also acknowledging. So even if you there's someone's at this deeper level or if it's someone that's just doing shit stuff and dick moves on the weekend and it's like perhaps not you were sick, but it's just like the alcohol is responsible for all of this. You know, you wouldn't have ended up in that situation you were in without the alcohol. I mean, you still may have had depression and anxiety. There may have been underlying stuff that had to be resolved. And we wouldn't do a lot of this stuff if it wasn't for the alcohol. It makes people do the worst shit Mm. and take that out of the equation and things look a lot different. Um, Yeah. yeah. I guess the thing that um, has really like resonated with me is that, you know, when alcohol was in the picture and when I was drinking the way that I was drinking, I had this... um, you know, a really negative outlook on, on everything. And, you know, I, I, I didn't trust people. I didn't trust people's motives. You know, I'd always see the, the, the bad in things. And, and it was this really grim, bleak outlook. And mm. you take the alcohol now out of it. And it's been, you know, a year, a year since that last drink. And I find it harder and harder to how do I put this? I, I, I don't have that outlook anymore. It's, you know, that the way I look at people has changed dramatically. You know, it's not, you know, I don't look at people and think that they're, that they have bad intentions for me or they, they want the worst for me. The one thing I've learned over this last year is that people are a lot better than I thought they were. And, mm-hmm. you know, like I put something on Facebook last night about turning one and, you know, the messages of support of, you know, people messaging me privately, you know, people, people, you know, everyone's trying to get through life the best they can. And, and I always kind of had this really grim view that I, oh, everyone's, you know, they're just waiting for me to fuck up and they're, you know, they're talking about me. They just want me to fail and this and this and this. And it turns out people genuinely just want the best for you and they want you to be um, happy and safe and as long as you're not, you know, impeding them and stopping them from being happy and safe, they want the best for you as well. And mm. and even though that sounds really, sounds like a very obvious thing, um, when I was drinking, that was not how I looked at things. I thought everyone was kind of, you know, out to get me or they just wanted the worst for me. But, you know, people are, people are pretty good and people are a lot kinder than, than I ever, ever really thought. Yeah, what you give them credit for. Absolutely. Mm. And that's a beautiful thing to realize as well. Part of that changing the way in which you thought in which you think, that negative way of thinking. Do you do you do say a gratitude practice or cognitive behavioral therapy? How did you start to change that way of seeing <clears throat> the world? So like I you know, I really credit AA with with where I'm at today, but three months in rehab was you know. It was the most important thing I've ever done and probably will ever do. And hopefully it's the only time I ever do it. But that's that was where it started. Um, it was a really intensive process, lots of therapy, lots of group work. And it's funny, you know, because I hear I hear I hear people talk on this podcast about, you know, the rock bottom and when did it all, you know. And I actually reckon my rock bottom was when I was one week into rehab and everything kind of dawned on me for the first time 
how much work there is ahead of me. And and then I was like, because I actually went into rehab with. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Seven days, I was seven days sober when I went in and I was actually feeling pretty good. I was like, you know what, 28 days, we're going to nip this in the bud and then we're going to go out there and we're going to get on with life and um, business as usual. And I was pretty like chipper and I was there for one week. And at the end of that first week, I remember sitting on the couch after this meditation and I was just like, there's so much about myself, myself that I've just realized I've got so much ahead of me. And this guy, we're doing um, Shigong. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. It's a Chinese meditation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're doing that. And this guy that was in the rehab, who I just love so much, and I still see him quite a bit, he took the Shigong and he sits there and he goes, oh, so how are you going? You know, first week in. I said, mate, I'm like, I'm fucked. I've got so much work to do. How am I going to? And he goes, yeah, you know, people say that rehab's a bit like you're driving down a hill 200 miles an hour. And then you put the brakes on and all your luggage just comes flying forward to the to the front of the car. Wow, yeah. And I was like, yep, that <laughs> is exactly what I'm experiencing. I feel like all this shit has just come flying forward and I have no idea where it's come from. It's been buried deep, deep, deep inside and now I've got to actually deal with it. And that was, that was it. I, that, when I was sitting there, like I could talk about it now, but at the time I've never felt so broken and like confused about what I was, where I was going. I thought I was really in trouble at that point. And I was two weeks sober, but I was still just mm-hmm. like, I can't believe all this stuff that I've been drinking on for seven years and I haven't acknowledged it, processed it. And so, you know, I remember I had my first session with my counselor there who I also just love. And, you know, if it wasn't for the client patient thing, I just wish I could still see, but I can't, unfortunately. Um, but he, he said to me in my first session, he was like, all right, so what's been going on? And, you know, I just blurted out, you know, 45 minutes of um, uninterrupted, you know, stuff and I just put it on the table. And he's just like, mate, yep, we've got a lot of work to do here. This is, this is, this is not a quick fix, unfortunately, um, because we need, to, we need to change the way that you think about yourself at, at its most fundamental level. Um, we need to change the conversation you have with yourself. We need to change, yeah, the way you're relational with people, the way you deal with conflict, the way you know it was a, it was a, just a menu of things that um, I had basically denied myself. You know, the growth with alcohol. It's the, it's another really important observation I'd make is that you know 
an addiction. I mean, I'll speak for myself, but you know, it kind of stunted a lot of that emotional growth and, and personal growth that perhaps people go through in their in their twenties. You know, like figuring out how they deal with the world, how they deal with people. Because I was kind of drinking on it and numbing myself, it, that didn't actually happen. And and I had to start working out that stuff. And it was around that time that I realized this was not going to be a 28 day, day thing. And um, I spoke to mum and dad and said, look, I think I'm going to extend another month. And they were like, yep, sounds good. Let's do it. And then another month. And I would say that the, when I got out of rehab, the, the biggest shift that had finally happened was that I was finally okay with saying out loud that I'm struggling, I need help, and that's okay. I'm not, I don't have everything figured out. And a lot of the shame that had been just festering there just wasn't there anymore. And if someone had said to me that, hey, in 90 days' time, you know, you're not going to be fixed, you, you, you're probably going to still be as confused about life as ever, but you, the shame that you've been carrying around and all the guilt and just all that negative self-talk that can be lifted, I'd be like, fucking sign me up because, yeah. you know, that's, yeah. that is half the battle is is getting rid of all that all that shit that is sometimes just not true but you you say it to yourself enough and it becomes true and and the thing that you know I'd been telling myself is that mate you're you know you're worthless you you can't do this you can't do that you everyone's talking about you no one no one likes you your parents are the only people that love you you know it was just all this stuff that was just kind of in the head the whole time i started to say this stuff to a group of people and it was met with empathy and it was met with support. And then I could support someone else. And it was a really great community that we built there. And, you know, I still catch up with some people there that I went, that I was in rehab with and who were kind of on the same timeline as me, you know, they, they've just, they've just gone through their, their one year, but we, it was just an amazing process in which we just opened each other up and we, mm. we took that, that risk it's a huge risk you know like that 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 moment you just step off and you tell this group the stuff about yourself that you just never thought you'd tell anyone and they've mm-hmm. heard it and they're like good on you mate let's i'm with you and yeah i i can't speak highly enough of 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 rehab and and mm-hmm. what it can do for for someone yeah it just just that cracking open in front of people where do you think that came from that self-belief that you had that you know you're worthless and that you couldn't do anything and no one likes where did that come from was there childhood stuff there or bullying or I think um yeah it was I mean my counselor we I mean he he had some some ideas about where it was I think there was always some anxiety in 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 growing up and without going into the weeds too much but it was I think I always felt very uncomfortable and in your own skin yeah, or, and, yeah. And, I, and I think I always overcompensated for that um mm-hmm. you know I went to a um quite a well-known school in Melbourne which you know wore uniforms and and all that and and I really liked that I liked being part of you know I loved community I still do love you know community and football clubs I did a bit of footy coaching as well and I like the you know we all wear the same thing. We all do the same thing. We're all in this together. I, I kind of like that stuff, but I think I liked it because it kind of meant that I didn't have to worry about actually being myself. I could just kind of blend into a, a group and kind of go, yep, I'm, yeah. I'm this, I'm that. You know, I could point to like an institution and say, yep, I'm part of that and not actually be myself. And 
Wow. So it's almost like there was no self-identity no, at all. No. Wow. And, and, and I think because of that, I, I kind of, I projected a certain way and I was sort of, I, you know, yes, yeah, so there's a lot of stuff. And, and unfortunately, you know, these things just become habit and it's like you do it often enough and it's like, and that's kind of when I was, you know, one week into rehab, I'm sitting there, I'm going, who the fuck am I? What, what do I, what do I value? What do I stand for? What are, you know? Yeah. And, and one of the things I learned in rehab was that, you know, it's actually not about what you think of who you are. It's how people observe you and how people find you. And, and people, and because of the nature of the rehab that I was in, it was like feedback on the, all the time, you know, you get feedback, even if you don't want it and people give it to you. And <laughs> And the feedback that I was getting was that, you know, Pat, you're, you're sensitive, you're really sensitive. Um, mm. You, you overcompensate, you, you, you appear as though you're more confident because you don't want someone to know that, you know, you, you're struggling, you know, there's all this stuff that just was pouring out of people and they had known me for you know a week and they were just fucking hammering me with stuff. And it sounds like they were nailing it too. They were, they were. And that's the thing, like rehab's so weird because, I reckon I was, I was a week into that place and people in, in there knew me better than I would say my family knew me, my uh, people in my whole life had known me. One week of being there and, and sharing in the way that I was and talking to people, they knew me better than, than others. It's, it's a really weird, wonderful thing. Um, well, it's that connection you have with people any anytime, I guess, going through something like this. And also because you, you, you're, uh, you're allowed... It's like you can let your coping mechanism down. You can let mm. the guard down. And so you're probably in a group of people that are all letting their guard down because they all feel safe because they're yeah. having a similar situation. And that is, imagine if we were like that in real life, <laughs> out in the real world, we just didn't have our, we took off our armor and we took off our coping mechanisms. I was saying to someone the other day, we're like coping, we're like coping. Our, my coping mechanism is meeting your coping mechanism, basically, when we're yeah. getting around in this. We're just all coping mechanisms walking around. And um, imagine life without it would be so open and beautiful well, with one another. Yeah, it's funny, like you say that. Like I was talking about that with someone as well, and it was like, imagine if people in AA answered the question "How are you going?" to someone outside the rooms in AA, like they answer it in AA. Because like you go up to someone in AA and say "How are things?" within fifteen seconds, they'll tell you some of the most intimate, private stuff and you know intense stuff. And you just can't do that in the real world. If someone says to you, how are you going? You say, yep, good. You, yep, good. Yep. How are you going? Yep, great, mate. Yep, yourself. Yep, yep. All that bullshit small talk that I hate, you know, is, is the way that, you know, the world works. But, you know, if in the confines of, you know, a really empathetic environment, um, you can just you cut all the bullshit and just say, yep, I'm struggling because of this and I'm feeling this and, you know, it's, it's an amazing way to be, but I do, I do mm. acknowledge that, you know, it probably can't always be like that. Um, but it's that safety, isn't it? It's being, it's feeling safe enough to actually express how we truly are feeling and have not having to put this, this, this mask on and yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm really well. Thanks. I've got one person I see on the beach all the time. And every time I'm like, how are you? Yeah, really well. Thank-. Like the same every time. And yeah. they're like, just tell me how you really fucking are. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, um, but it's weird. Like it's, like I, you, you, we, we can have a conversation like this, and I feel perfectly at ease talking about some really intimate, vulnerable stuff. Mm-hmm. But if 
if we were to finish the podcast and then start chatting about, you know, what's on for the weekend and I would start to feel really like stressed almost like small talk, like stresses me out. Like I, I can't stand it. I almost just prefer to go right. you know, if I met someone rather than talk about, you know, how are the kids and how are this, how let's just tell each other our most intimate, darkest secret and talk about how it makes us feel. I'd almost prefer that. And just, me too. You know, let's let's dive into that <laughs> rather than talk about, oh yeah, you know, so and so is two years old and she's got a birthday. Oh yeah, great. You know, I just oh that's classic omnivert behavior. This is yes, this, this term that I've discovered on this podcast from Jamie Milne, but that is the classic thing of an omnivert. They don't like small talk. It exhausts them and stresses them. Yeah. yeah so my um my sponsor went through this sort of stage of we we drive out to a meeting together that's far away and you know, he's been in the program for four or five years and um, he loves the fellowship. He loves um, he loves the second half. He loves going out for dinner with other members who he doesn't know, and I'm, which is like, I could not think of anything worse. And Yeah, that's we, to me too. We went, we went to this <laughs> meeting and like we're in the car there, we're chatting, and I fucking stupidly said, oh, yeah, you know, I'm still, yeah, going all right, but, oh, God, the small talk and the second halves, you know, just shoot me now. And we arrive at this place and he had been driving. And it was just, this was a fair way away. And he, we get out of the car. He goes, oh, yeah, just so you know, we're going to go to the second half tonight. And I was like, you fucking. And we got there and we're sitting at this table. And, oh, just the clock was just going so slowly. I was sweating. And I just, mm. because, you know, um, the social anxiety is still there. It hasn't disappeared overnight just because the, the alcohol has got, it's got, it's a lot more manageable, but. Um, sitting around this table of strangers and um, and it was weird, you know, because half an hour before that we're in this meeting and we're all talking about, uh, you know, where we were at our lowest ebb and, and, and you know, all this shame and things. But then we're at this, you know, little RSL and sitting around, we can't even get a word out because the small talk is just, it's just not for us. Wow. Do you think a lot of social anxiety might actually be a fear of small talk? Possibly. Or something like just not... dropped in for me there and I'm like, shit, maybe yes. social anxiety is just this, they don't like small talk. Cause I, and I think small talk, we sense because of our animal, uh, that other sense that we have, I think there's something about us when small talk is happening that we feel an unease. There's probably mm. something deep in our psyche that feels like, no, this isn't right, this person's not connecting with me properly. And then probably what you're craving is connection. So perhaps at that RSL or that, if this person sitting next to you had have said, fuck, and then just started telling you the whole life story, would that have been a different oh, experience for you? I would have loved that. I would have been there for it. I would have been like, yep, let's chat about it. Let's really go into. Let's get in there and yeah, get connected. And I'll, and I'll, and I'll yep. share my experience of the same thing. And we can really, and I, and, and I could have sat there talk like we have been, I could sit mm-hmm. there talking that for hours, you know, and, and I did that at, at, and that was rehab a lot of the time, you know, some of the best chats and, and, with people that I had at the rehab, we're out the back. Well, I, I don't smoke, but they a lot of smokers there, and we'd sit around. They'd be having a smoke, and some of the best chats were out on the veranda, just getting into the stuff that we would never have dreamed of 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 telling other people, and and really just getting into it. And what you were saying then about social anxiety, like I heard a great analogy about social anxiety, and it's like being in a play, and everyone on the stage has a script, and you don't, and it's like this 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 thing in your head going fuck they know what to say what am i what's my next thing and so if you're like me you end up saying something like 
Oh, so have you got any pets? Like just this, you know, just some thing that just enters your brain, but you just have to say something because something's better than nothing. But, you know, one of the other things like I've learned is that sometimes nothing is actually okay. And it's actually okay to, to sit and, and hold space and not say anything in a group, you know, and, and listen. Yeah, just listen. Yeah, just... Imagine, imagine if you could say, actually, I'm just going to listen because I hate, <laughs> I hate small talk, but if you want to tell me your deepest, darkest secrets, yeah. I'm here. <laughs> kind of like when you like you book an Uber and you can decide if you want conversation or not. Imagine if you could go yeah. into like, yeah, you can like say like conversation preferred, not preferred. Like you can right. do that. Yeah. Really? And imagine if you could just go into a group situation, go, hey guys, how you going, Patrick? I'm here <laughs> for the intimate stuff. Um, I'm not going to be doing small talk today. Happy to hear your small talk and I'll listen. Um, but yeah. That's me. Carry, oh. carry on, and you know. <laughs> I think we've just fucking un. We have just uncovered something that all social anxiety is just a fear of fucking small talk yeah. because we're sensing something, and so we need the connection. All all recovery is is about connection, connection yep. to other people. When we actually attune with someone, we're having a big dopamine hit as well. So that's why it feels so good to be really, really connected with people because we're getting that dopamine dump as well and another thing is like as i found is that when so there so at my rehab there were i think it was pretty much a 50 50 split guys girls and i i reckon i like fell in love with like every girl that came through there in some way or another (laughs) and and i was like i was like i was saying this to my counselor i was like yeah i've had a thing for her i've had a thing for her i've had a thing for her and he was just like yeah pretty common yeah i'm pretty sure everyone in here is in love with each other in some in some degree because for the first time in your life you've met you know someone who has heard you heard all your shit and they still accept you and they still care for you and they still support you and that's what we want that kind of acceptance is is um is amazing and so it's kind of feels like oh shit are we in love but we weren't we were just i think we were just fine maybe you were Maybe yeah. we're all meant to be in love with each other and accepting Absolutely. each other. Yeah. But that's I think what love is, don't you think? It's this full acceptance and Yeah. Yeah. Um, imagine if we were if we could walk around as a society just accepting, accepting our own flaws, accepting the flaws in other people. Mm. If we could take that veil of judgment off, we wouldn't even need to do small talk. We could just be so open with one another. And the other thing is like like with that in mind, you I saw. I follow a lot of, um, you know, recovery pages on Instagram, and and I saw one. It was like, you know, just imagine the percentage of people that would find treatment and get into treatment for addiction if there wasn't that first little hurdle of getting over all of the judgment and the shame that people can can give someone else who is going through that. And and that's not to say that everyone's like them. I think people, people like I said just at the start, like I've found people are just incredibly kind and, and supportive, but there still is that little thing that people have to jump through. And imagine if, you know, you could just go out there and say it out loud with no fear. And I do, you know, you do wonder how many people miss out on, on getting into treatment or getting that start in their recovery purely because of the shame that it can bring. Um, Perhaps that's shame and judgment they're putting on themselves though. Yeah. Yeah. It may not be coming from anywhere else. It's actually the, sh- the shame and judgment they're putting, mm. yeah, that they're giving themselves. If they could mm. get rid of that, then they'd take the step 
to yeah. to go. I, I find it really interesting that you couldn't ex- you couldn't say to mum and dad that you had to write it down, and you know that's part of it, isn't it? This mm. being able to express and say exactly what's happening. Perhaps also something's just dropping in for me now, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to articulate it. So just bear with me. But almost as this sense of small talking with ourselves. You know what I mean? Like not going deep with ourselves. So just keeping it so surface level, keeping the true essence of our feelings and the truth of what's going on inside us really at arm's length and keeping that small talk yeah, going like, have you ever internally. Seen, have you ever seen that? Um, I mean, you've probably seen it. It's like the, it's like a cartoon or a painting and there's like that creature standing in front of a burning house and he's drinking a coffee and he says, this is fine. And no. oh, it's like a it's like a thing that's out there, and it's like it's it's that self talk. It's like there is so much shit happening here. I can't process any of it, so I'll just quickly tell myself, "Yeah, this is all good. This is all good." And I did that a lot. It was like never Small actually, talk myself. Yeah, it was like I can't actually connect with my reality here because that's too scary. So I'll just kind of go, "Yep, yeah, that's all right. That's okay. You know, that's everything's out should be when really." layers and layers and layers but below i know that there's stuff that i need to confront um mm. I, like i said like rehab was just about finally digging in there and, mm. and bringing it all up to the surface and and once it was starting to be said out loud it was like um yeah it's like the shame just kind of washes off it's like you start cleaning yourself almost because it's it's finally being acknowledged and i think um you know shame like really thrives you know in the dark in secret mm-hmm. and where no one can see it or you know observe it and like having it observed is like oh, that just takes the the power out of it yep shine the light on it um andy mm. quinn said last week shame thrives in silence and I, mm. I just so agree with that shine the light on it and it just loses its power loses its yeah. grip yeah 100 okay so i think we've solved the world's problems we need to drop the small talk <laughs> Yep. No doubt. <laughs> maybe that could be a, a challenge we put out to people to drop the small talk for a week and see see how they feel you know feel yeah. how connected they feel to other people yeah I think I think so I mean I think at the same time though like I was, I'm just like playing the exercise in my head like mm. and I, I don't know if I'm rude enough to say to someone hey can you just drop the shit and tell me what's going on because I think I think like you know, like I like, for example, like I know that I really needed people to be empathetic with me. And maybe it's not very empathetic of me to someone else who, you know, maybe they need that small talk, maybe they need that barrier for themselves to kind of stay safe. So that's their coping mechanism. Yeah. So it's like I can't really go in there and go, hey mate, you know, because you know, I've I've been to <laughs> rehab, I'm in AA, like I'm in I talk like this kind of every every day almost, like, mm-hmm. you know, and but not everyone is in that situation. And I think some people may be just, they just need that, that little barrier to, um, and, mm-hmm. may, and, you know, it's a, it's a lot about trust as well. It's because mm-hmm. it is, like I said, it's like, it's like you take that leap, you know, you, and you just, you have no idea how it's going to be received. You have no idea whether that person is going to be there for you at the end of it. Um, and it's like, but, you know, in the case of a, you know, a suffering, you know, alcoholic or an addict, it, it just has to be done. If, You've you got know, to take if, the risk sometimes. Yeah. You know, to and, yeah, to get that connection. I've been talking with my group at the moment, um, my challenge group, about staying open and noticing when your heart's closing, 
and trying to stay open if you can because we've all had this coping mechanism of closing and closing our hearts off and so trying to keep the energy open and keep it flowing mm-hmm. and that's a, it's a really great thing to try and work towards it also stops stuff getting blocked inside us it allows things to move through mm. um it's it's really important but i just love the idea of cruising through life and and I, I get, I totally hear you too, that that could be someone's coping mechanism. Just like mm. I said, we're all just one, cope, you know, we're all got our coping mechanisms on it. But imagine if you were to say like, really, how are you? Like, mm. how are you? I wonder. Two more questions. So I know we have to wrap up, but you know, for, for, for young guys, so you must've started this, this from, if I'm doing the sums, you're 20, 29 now, you've been sober for a year. So it's 28, but you said it was about seven years that you had this sort of really full on. So, you know, you're sort of like 22, 23 type thing. That's so young Mm. to starting, you know, a problem relationship with alcohol. What would you say for other young people that are starting to, okay, I'm going to hit it again the next day, or I'm not sitting with myself. I'm wanting, I'm noticing I'm wanting to sit on my own and drink. Mm. I would say, to be oh, just be honest with yourself as much as you possibly can be because I lied to myself so much and and that's what happens. You know, the more I lied to myself, the more I believed myself and and the drinking and the addiction, you know, really thrived because of that. And I just reckon if you just if I was just honest with myself and said to myself, not just acknowledge, hey, I'm I've drank a lot tonight i drank a lot the day before day before day before why why you know and that's the big one and if i and if i if i put a bit of time into answering the why of of it i don't know i think you get it when you get it as well i think there's a bit of being ready for it and like i think you you'd be probably familiar with the term we're using like 12 step you know the gift of desperation where you know you got nothing left so you may as well get better that kind of thing and and that sounds mm. a bit bleak but unfortunately that's kind of that's what it was for me it was like yep i've got no nowhere else to turn here but i think if you're acknowledging that alcohol is something that you are wondering about like for example straight after this i'm catching up with a guy that i haven't seen actually since school because he saw something on socials and he goes yeah i think i might be you know and can we catch up and have a chat i think that's a great thing to do if 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 you're sensing yourself that i'm drinking a bit more I'm doing it a bit more regularly. Is this a problem? Uh, just pick up the phone and talk to someone like me, like someone who is not a professional, but someone who has, mm-hmm. you know, because that's, and that's kind of why, like, I don't, I'm not going to be someone, I'm not going to post a lot about this stuff, but I, but I do kind of want it to be known out there that this is my experience because I just reckon you, there just needs to be another person out there that, someone can call on to go, yep, heard you on the podcast, heard you, whatever. I know that this is something and just chat about it. And if you identify with what someone is saying, then, you know, again, I can't, you can't force people, but if you are identifying with what you're hearing, then start to take the steps to get better um, because it does fester. And like I said, um, by the, before I was 30, I was absolutely addicted and in the grips of this thing. And when I first took that drink, I never would have thought that it would get to that point. But the reality is it always will end up there. It's it's never there's never going to be a different story to the one that the, the one that I had. It's, it was never going to end differently. Oh, it could have ended differently. Um, 
could have ended the other way, but um, you know, I'm lucky that I, I, I finally found something that worked for me. Um, and that would be the, the last thing I'd say is that find what works for you because um, you know, yeah, AA is, I'm all about AA and I'll, I'll, I will, I will, I'll never preach AA to people, but I'll certainly talk about how it's helped me. Um, mm-hmm. But what I've learned from this podcast is that people have all sorts of different ways to, to help them. So, you know, find what works for you and um, yep. just be honest with yourself. Just, just be honest with, with the conversation and just know that um, life without alcohol, you know, does exist and you can have fun. It might be a bit shaky there for a bit of time and it still is for me. Don't worry. Like I fucking, I, I went to a wedding and just awkward central couldn't, you know, like really weird. Couldn't, couldn't really relax or, or have the kind of fun that I used to have. But I also kind of said to myself, well, maybe that means that I just change what fun is now, you know, fun is not what fun used to be. And, and okay, I might not be the life of the party in the way that I used to be, but, um, I can have better conversations with people now as a result of, of my recovery and I can connect with people in a way that I never used to. So there's always these little trade-offs, I reckon, that mm. you've just you've got to kind of accept. Um, and so I'd say to someone if they're struggling with it, um, be prepared to make some of those trade-offs because what you get back is infinitely better than what alcohol could ever have given you. Yeah, because the alcohol is the lie too. You know, perhaps you never would have comfortably turned up to a wedding doing small talk, you know, and so you'd, yeah. you'd mask that uncomfortableness with alcohol mm. and that was the lie where now you can turn up and go, yeah, fuck, I feel uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, this is fucking awkward. I fucking <laughs> hate small talk and I'm going to have, you know, a barrage of it all night, but yeah. you can acknowledge that. But then it's like, but and this is the thing, like then you can just say, well, then maybe I'm just an introverted yeah. awkward person and there's nothing wrong yes. with that. Like, and there's who, nothing wrong with that. There's if I mean, like, and, and that's, that's kind of what I was almost fighting. I didn't want, like, I don't want to be an introvert. I don't want to be shy, but fuck it. I am shy. I'm, I'm not great at small talk. I don't make friends like, you know, just on a whim, you know, mm-hmm. I, you know, that's just, that's just who I am. And, you know, if, if, if that, if I can just live in that reality and, and just be authentic, then um, I don't feel the need to, to have a drink. And I certainly just see, don't see the benefit in having a drink because, yeah. Uh, it's seeing yourself as you are. Yeah. You know, like see yourself as you are. Like if you are the shy person, see that in yourself. Yeah. Honour that. You know, be that if that's what you are. Stop trying to mask and become somebody else and doing that through alcohol because it gives you this this mask or this um other way of being when if you were just to be true to yourself then you don't wake up in the morning feeling that incongruency as well mm. you wake up just feeling like i was just me because mm. <laughs> like it's like what was i thinking did i think there was like some shortage of extroverts out there and I needed to, <laughs> like, what, what why did i what you know like there's there's plenty of everyone like i don't know i don't know why i felt the need that i had to be something else or oh my god something else yeah, this fucking football club does not need any more extroverts no, or this wedding. But, you know, the footy club's probably full of introverts, but they're all just bullshitting to themselves, too. Big time. Big I time. don't know. I've got a, this is, I've had a few bloody aha moments in this chat, so thank you for that. Awesome. But seeing yourself as you are, people. And I was reading, uh, I'm reading The Untethered Soul again. Have you read that book? No, I heard you reference it, though, recently. I, I, sounds like it's one I should pick up. Oh, my God. You would 
and you would love it because it's just it's very deep. Um, but he says, if you ever want to know why you do something, try not doing it. And mm. I was like, wow, mm. <laughs> yes, yeah. Not just with alcohol, but with anything that we do. Like he was he even saying, like if you go, if you have to go down the street with your hair and makeup done or dressed a certain way, try not doing it and see, mm. and then you'll see why you feel like you have to do that. But definitely, yes. it relates to alcohol. You know. Yes, and it's yeah, it's that's interesting one because I think a lot of it also sometimes. It's like chasing a version that you think you want to be, but then actually you don't even like the version in other people. So then, right? You know what I mean? Like, why do I think that that's like a virtue? If mm-hmm. if if I actually witness the behavior in someone else and go, yeah, that's not for me. If it's not for me, then it probably means that it's not me, and it's not it's not who I am. Um, that's why we end up hating ourselves so much the next day, you know, yeah. especially after a binge session, something like that, when you're like, you kind of are perhaps a quiet person and, but you, you're, you're there and you got your tits out and you're screaming at the top. You're not listening to anyone. You're blah, 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 blah. And then you wake up the next day and you're just like, Oh fuck, what was that? And then people, people going forward, expect it from you. Like that's because that's what the you like yeah, labels. People love labels. Oh yeah, Pat. He'll he'll fucking he'll he'll get into arguments about politics, and he'll he will he'll shoot his mouth off, and he'll do this. And and I'm going. I'm back there. Going, oh fuck! I don't really like that image of myself, but I've got to keep going in and and putting up the front. Because um, mm-hmm. if I don't, then people will start going. Well, what's what's going on with him? Is he not okay? You know, it's it's that merry-go-round that we go through. Absolutely. Uh, do you like yourself now? Yes. I, I really do. I um. I. Yeah, I'm okay with myself now, and mm-hmm. I. I, I'm proud of myself now, and I don't think I've ever been proud of myself. You know, in in a way that I am now, it's like, where like where I am now, it's like yeah, life is more confusing than it was a year ago, if you can believe that. Like I'm still because I'm still kind of just working out, you know, how I want to how I want to, you know, be in this world going forward. But, you know, it's, I am proud that I'm tackling issues with honesty, with authenticity. Um, You know, I don't wake up, you know, scared of things the way that I used to. I don't have that dread and the fear of, of the unknown. Um, The unknown now is like, yeah, well, the unknown will present itself and, and I'll be sober and I'll be, in a good headspace and I'll be ready to tackle it. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've learned a lot about myself. I don't think I would have learned any of this stuff about myself if I was drinking and getting sober has finally, um, in the same way that that first drink unlocked something in myself, you know, getting sober has unlocked something as well. And it's, it's far more meaningful, you know, relationships in my life are just infinitely better. I can have you know, conversations with mum and dad that aren't fueled with secrecy and, and um, you know, you know, I've got a two-year-old niece and, you know, like I was at a, a couple of Sunday mornings ago, I was at a local pool at 9am on a Sunday watching her do her swimming lessons and <laughs> could you imagine that kind of thing if I was drinking and, and getting that invitation? Oh, do you want to come and, you know, watch her swimming at 9am on a Sunday? I said, would have thought to myself, oh, yeah. I won't go because I'm hungover, but if I do go, I'll probably be under the influence and I'll probably have to drink to get through it and get, you know, but, you know, just to be present and, and just to have fun and, 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 
and see people that, you know, life life's tough and life has challenges, but it's not this scary, overwhelming thing that I used, used to think it was. Um, mm. And, yeah, so um, my counsellor always said, you know, it's okay not to be okay. He used to say it all the time. And at first I used to say, oh, mate, can you just stop with the fucking cliches? But now, like, yeah, it's okay. No, it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to struggle. Um, as long as you just tackle it with honesty, then, um, you know, you can achieve anything. So, yeah, I'm a very, very happily sober person today incredible what a story oh my god it's going to be such a huge inspiration i posted today on instagram if i can do it you can do it or something like that and and i think it doesn't matter where you are there's always someone that you can look to to say fuck if he can do it Mm. i can do it you know and i think a lot of people might hear this or share this today and you'll be such an inspiration to people that you can go from that fucking like daily that we are and that place of such darkness and come out in the light. What's the know? best thing? It's like, it's the best thing about this is like, because we've got the lived experience, then we can just say it with certain, because there's a lot of stuff that you can talk about and feel the need to persuade people. But it's like, no, I'm telling you, you can, this can happen. It's, it happens. Um, you know, and even when things feel a million miles away, it's, it's a lot closer than you think. Um, there's just these little, little things that need a bit of tinkering with um, a little bit of honesty with yourself and others. And yeah, it just, it starts to happen. And when it starts to happen, you'll, you'll feel it. And it's a fucking amazing feeling. And, you know, it's alcohol does not give you the feeling that that gives you. It just doesn't. It's, it's not real. This is real. It's like, yep, I can see the growth in myself. I can, I can see the improved relationships, you know, the proofs in the pudding and, um, you know, life, life's exciting again, you know, like I think there's that period where life just becomes something that you're just existing through with, with the alcohol. Mm. And it's like, yeah, I just want to fucking get through the day and, oh shit, I woke up again, you know, oh God, I have to, I have to live again today. And now it's like, no, nope, I can see the, some possibility. I can see something I might want to do. And yeah, it's, it's awesome. I, yeah, couldn't, couldn't recommend, um, couldn't recommend getting sober and, and, and finding recovery if that's what you, that's what you need. Yeah, absolutely. Here, here. So well said. Patrick Kennedy, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story so vulnerably. And honestly, I could talk to you for another four hours probably because I just, (laughs) you're so easy to talk to. And, you know, I I look forward to um, talking big with you again. Not small talk, big talk. No small talk. And I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to think about that. Maybe there's an app that you can you can make for when you're going into a supermarket and just have like a, a setting. No small talk, only deep, meaningful, intimate stuff. And if you want to come and talk to me about it, you can. And if you want to avoid me, then you can. <laughs> I, reckon there's, I reckon there's something in that. Yeah, no small That should be another T-shirt. I swear to God, I'm going to get my T-shirts happening one day. No small talk, dickhead. Does this podcast have any merch? <laughs> no, but it should because yeah, there's so yeah. many um, little one-liners that come out of each podcast. Yeah. That I'm like, wow, yeah, that'd be so great on a podcast <laughs> and a t-shirt. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Um, Pleasure. Yeah, really look forward to sharing this with um, the How I Could Alcohol audience. Awesome. See ya.
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.